You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm speaking to you after a major snowfall has blanketed the Northeast. We are also coming to the end of the Dafyomi cycle of Babakama. So I thought it would be appropriate to re-release a shear that my Haver, former student, Hadayan of Gershon Eliezer Shaffel gave a number of years ago about stomping on a snowman who has to pay. And it's connected to not only the idea, of course, that is in people's minds as they shovel and move the snow away and look at these snowmen that some of the children have made, but also sugis and babakama that have to do with pinning down what exactly a mazik is and what it means to be mashrum swindizik. I think that once again, you will discover the clarity in Rabbi Shaffel's presentation. Uh, you will hear uh, the, the excitement in the students who are listening through Zoom and raising their questions and the real masterful way that Rabbi Shaffel answers them and still moves on and gets the sheer set. So here it is. I hope you enjoy it. This episode. But let's say somebody goes ahead and makes for themselves, spends a few hours uh, carving out with great precision a snowman. Whatever it is, whatever the uh, the, the whatever uh, the the snowman looks like, but he spends a lot of time making a snowman, and then somebody comes along. Uh, we'll call him for um, for simplicity, uh, DRS for dirty rotten scoundrel. So DRS comes along and stomps on the snowman and breaks it. So obviously, the people who spent a lot of time going ahead and making that snowman, uh, making that snowman are going to be very upset by that. But the question is going to be, uh, when it comes to the halachas of Nezikin, when it comes to halachas of damages, so we always want to know that, as we've talked about a number of times, that there's a major difference between categorizing somebody as a dirty, rotten scoundrel and saying that somebody has to pay for the damage which they inflicted. And that's going to be the question over here, is breaking somebody else's snowman grounds to go ahead and make them pay for damage. Now, our Western culture uh, mindset would say, you ruined my stuff. And if you ruined my stuff, so obviously you're going to have to pay for having ruined my stuff. Our tendency is to go ahead and sue everybody, anybody and everybody that, uh, that we can. We could sue the parents, we could sue the grandparents, and probably the show where they daven. So we could go after everybody over here and see if we could, uh, if we could collect uh, so, some money. But the question is, halachically, what exactly is going to be the, uh, the halacha? Now, the, now if, uh, also, if you remember, and this is taking us back a number of years, when we did the shear on the three little pigs, so in the shear on the three little pigs, we actually brought up this question. And the question in the context over there related specifically to when the wolf comes along and he says to the, uh, the, uh, the pig with the ho- that lives in the house of straw, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And then the pig says, not by the hair, my little chin chin. And the wolf goes ahead and blows it down. So 
the question is, what damage did the uh, did the wolf do to the uh, to the to the house? So, assuming that nothing was actually um, uh, glued together, and there were no screws, and there were no nails or something holding it to, together, it just happens to be that it was a it was piled up in a particular way. So now all of the pieces are still intact. So there's nothing which is broken. You just have a dismantle. It's as if you just got it shipped uh, to your house and it says assembly required. So you're back at square one. So you could go ahead and you could spend the time to go ahead and reassemble it. But if I go ahead and I take apart your thing, which now requires reassembly, but there's no broken parts, everything is still usable to be able to reassemble. Is that called nizikin? Is that called damages? in the sense that beyond being a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you have to pay? Or is it something for which one would not have to pay? So that is the, the question that we are going to, uh, to address. And we begin with a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. And once again, we, uh, uh, as we've seen many, many times, uh, where the way Shulchan Aruch works, so the way these uh, these types of things work, is that we find precedent, and the specific case of the precedent isn't really what's going to be so important. If you read it by itself, you would think that this is not going to be relevant at all, but everything in Halacha, and certainly everything in Chosha Mishpat, is really principle-based rather than the specific case. So you always want to go ahead and distill from the case in Shulchan Aruch, from the particular sif in Shulchan Aruch, what is the relevant principle, and then what are going to be the applications of that principle. So we have to start with a halacha, which doesn't really come up, but uh, as I said, the, uh, the principles will, uh, will then uh, be relevant for, for where we are. Okay, so we are in sif base. So what we're talking about over here is this is the Shulchan Aruch, Chosha Mishpat, Kuf Mem Ches, sif base. So it says as follows. So you live in the middle. You live in the, the center of, a, uh, of a, a, a grid of different fields, of different farms. And you had a path through one of those fields, one of those adjacent fields. So you had the right of passage through one of them to be able to get to your farm, which is right smack in the middle. And uh, as a result of Corona, let's say, so you, were, uh, you weren't out in the field for a long period of time. And now you happen to no longer remember which one of the fields you used to go through in order to be able to get to your field. So you had the right of passage either north, south, east, or west. And you just don't remember which one is which. Okay. So under normal conditions, in the event that my four neighbors are, just going across the, the board over here, are the Silvers, the Applesons, the Cones, and the Myers. So as I go to each one of them, I go to, uh, to the Silvers and I say, um, I had a path somehow through one of the fields to get to my field. Is it through yours? And Ralph says, nothing doing over here, sorry. And then I go to the Applesons. I say, Charlene, do you remember if I had a path through your field? Charlene says, absolutely not, nothing doing over here. And then I go to the Cones and I say, El, do I have a path through your field? He says, sorry, you're out of luck. And then I go to the Myers and say, please, did I have a path through your field? And he says, too bad, so sad. So now I know I had a path somewhere, but I have no time, I have no claim against anybody because everybody could go ahead and deny it. So since everybody could deny it, and rule number one of Chosha Mishpat is Hamotsu Mechaver Levaraya. So if I'm going to prove that I have rights of passage through somebody's field, I need some sort of proof. Absent that proof, I'm just out of luck. I'm going to have to 
fly and drop myself in by helicopter or by drone, and every one of my neighbors is going to be able to refuse to give me passage. That's really what Sif Aleph talks about. Now here in Sif Beis, Shulchan Aruch says, Let's say Bacha went ahead and bought up the four fields which surround me. She bought up the silvers, the applesons, the cones, and the Myers fields. So now there's one person who owns all four, all four surrounding fields. She went ahead and she bought it from all four of them. So now I say, ah, Baruch Hashem. Now there's one person who owns all four fields. And now I can say to Bacha, you know what, Bacha? I know for sure I had a path through one of these fields. You now own all four of them. So you have to provide me with a path through one of your fields. I'll let you choose which one you want me to go through. But you are obligated now to go ahead and give me rites of passage through one of your fields. So what does Bacha say? Too bad, so sad. So the halacha is, I'm still out of luck and I have no right to demand passage through any of Bacha's fields. Why? Because what's she going to say? Because Bacha is going to go ahead and she's going to play hardball. She's going to say to me, listen, if you're going to start messing around with me and claiming that I have to provide you with rites of passage, you know what I'm going to do? Ata. She said, I will go ahead and I will cancel my real estate purchase from each one of those families, and then you're out of luck. Ah, so what are you going to say to that? Now, if she were to do that, so then I'd be back at square one, I'd be back in Sifalot, and I would have no definitive claim against anybody, not the Silvers, the Applesons, the Codes, or the Myers. So, and therefore, Bajan says, listen, I'm not, I'm not canceling any of those sales, but I went ahead, when I bought each one of those fields, I bought, included with the actual real estate itself is, so the Silvers had the right to say to me, listen, you have, no, you have no right to passage to our field, it must have been somebody else. And the Applesons also had the right to say to me, you have no right to passage to our field, it must be somebody else. So as Bacha buys up all those properties, she buys not only the real estate, but the right to send me away and say that I have no claim against her whatsoever. And therefore, even though she now owns all four of them, and we know for sure that I have a path through one of the fields which she owns, I still have no better off. I'm still out of luck. And I should, I should have written down where exactly I, I had my, uh, my rights of passage. I didn't do so. Too bad, so sad on me. And, uh, and it sinks to be me. Now, on this, Nesivas says as follows. It's a very famous Nesivas. He says that De Nira, so it's, it's part of a long piece of the Nesivas. He writes as follows. He says, De Nira, let's say we're talking about something which it has no value in terms of resale value. It's not something that I can market. It's not something that I can find customers who would be interested in pur- purchasing. Rock to But to me, it's something which has value. So I have something. But one of the examples maybe we'll talk about later is, let's say I have a, a memory stick that has pictures from the chasana. So who is, who is going to find a memory stick with pictures of, uh, of a chasna valuable, only the family members. If I try and sell any of you those, uh, those pictures with the memory stick, you'd buy it for the value of a memory stick. It doesn't have any increased value whatsoever because of my, uh, my chasna pictures. It's just, uh, it's just a memory stick. 
So if you have something which nobody else considers to have any value whatsoever, but to you as an individual, it's valuable. So the halacha is, in So if you go ahead and you damage that, so you don't have to pay anything whatsoever. Let's say uh, your high school graduation, uh, your the final transcript of your high school tra- of your high school has straight A's all the way through. Let's just say it's not mine. That's what I'm saying. It's yours. So you have straight A's all the way through your uh, your high school. So to you, that may be something which has value. How much would anybody else spend on that uh, that copy of your high school transcript? Nothing. Not a person in the world who would be interested in buying that. So you have something which is valuable to you, and I come along and I destroy it. So do I have to pay you for having destroyed your high school transcript? So the Nesiva says, nope, you don't have to pay. Because it's not considered to be damaged if I go ahead and I ruin something which has to you sentimental value, but it has no market value whatsoever. That is the principle of this Nesivas. And he says, um, okay, let's not go for, for the sake of time, let's not go through his proof. But he says, after he brings a proof from this Gemara and Baba Kama, he says, Elevani, this is the main, the main idea, if I go ahead and damage something, which you cannot get any money to sell it for, for the sale of that thing, it doesn't have a market, nobody's interested in buying it, Potter. So the mazik is going to be exempt from having to make payment. Question. In terms of can you make somebody pay for damaging which, uh, something which does not have market value, so the Nesivas is of the opinion that it's not possible to make such a, such a person pay. That is the opinion of the, uh, uh, of the Nesivas. Now, the Erech Shai, one of the later commentators, I think is in the middle of the, of the 19th century, I think it happens to be. So he writes over here, after he quotes, so we're, we're picking it up right over here where my arrow thing is. He says, this is the, the Erech Shai in Shin Pei Vav. He says, Vizarhu Etzli. He says, I find this to be very strange. That's what the word czar over here. I find this to be a, 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 almost absurd. Just because something doesn't have market value. So that's the reason that if I'm mazik it, if I damage it, I don't have to pay you anything. The bottom line is, this had value to you, and I damaged something which had value to you. So what does it matter that nobody else is willing to buy it? To you, it was worth a few hundred dollars. This is something that, the, that you may, may very well, if somebody, uh, if somebody else had your high school transcript with the straight A's and they were selling it on eBay and you saw it there, you wouldn't go ahead and spend some money to go ahead and buy your high school transcript as uh, some sort of a memento. You may go ahead and spend 25, 50, $100, depending on how much you value your high school transcript. You may be willing to spend some money to go ahead and get your hands on that. So being that, you would go ahead and get your, uh, you would spend money to get your hands on that. So why should the guy who is mazik, what I consider to be worth $100, why should he be able to get away with damaging it and not having to pay me anything? That's the ultimate of Zelofer, argues the, uh, the Erech Shai. Ve'ata yuchrach likach lo derech velitein damim. 
because in the case, going back to Shochan case, where Bacha went ahead and uh, brought up the uh, the four fields. So somebody in this equation, we don't necessarily know who, but now that I don't have rites of passage to any of Bacha's fields, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to pay her now in order to be able to get rites of passage. So this is going to cost me a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars to be able to buy the rights, to be able to walk through one of Baja's fields. So as a result of the fact that somebody went ahead and caused me to lose track of, uh, of, of where that path is, it's going to cost me money. So if it's going to cost me money to go ahead and replace it, so why should the mazik not have to go ahead and pay? Why is he allowed to damage it? And I don't have the right to get reimbursed. So therefore, the Arif Shai says, no way. There's no way that, uh, that uh, the person isn't going to have to pay. And this is a, a major, major debate as far as within the halachas of Nezikin. This is like one of the fundamental de- debates which goes on in terms of how exactly are we going to um, uh, set up the parameters of what's considered to be damages which is severe enough that the mazik is going to have to pay. There can be many objects which we, which we own, which nobody else will be interested in purchasing. But for us, they happen to be of, uh, of significant value. And it's something that we paid money for. I'm looking on the screen over here. Almost everybody here has, uh, is wearing glasses. So if everybody here is wearing glasses or at least contacts. So what's the resale value of your glasses? Not much. Maybe the frames you could go ahead and resell. We used to think frames were actually valuable. Now that Zenny is around, we know that it's five ninety nine for frames and lenses. So we know that actually the the lens the, the frames are not that much money as as we thought. It's the uh, the brand name which goes on them which costs a, a lot of money. But your resale value of your glasses is not going to be very high. At most, it's going to be uh, you know even with the resale of the frames, it'll be a couple of dollars. But how much did you spend on your glasses? A lot of money. So if I go ahead and I damage your glasses, so do I not have to pay you anything more than their actual resale value, but how much you spent on them, so you're out of luck in terms of that money? I go in the mikvah and I sit on your uh, glasses and I break, I, I break just the, let's say I break just the lenses. The frames remain intact. So nobody's going to buy your lenses. There's no resale value of anybody's lenses. So does that mean that I wouldn't owe you money? So according to the Nasivas, he would say, indeed, if the if the resale if there is no market uh, uh, for a person's used lenses, so then you don't have to pay anything. And there, Shai says, "What do you mean? How could that be? The guy just spent two hundred and fifty dollars to buy a pair of glasses. Somebody sits on them; they're completely unusable now. And you tell me that the mazik doesn't have to pay anything?" As he says, the terminology of the Erev Shai is "zarhu etzli." I find this to be completely absurd. Yeah, Tzachik. I was I was just thinking about. Uh, it- when uh, like a car accident, you only get the value of your car. You don't get necessarily get the value you paid for the car. Um, you get correct. the blue book value, which is, but you don't get replacement value. How exactly uh, uh, damages are calculated in that type of a scenario? So that's uh, another shear, uh, which I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to go uh, uh, towards that at all. Okay, so okay. now the question over here is, um, so let's go back uh, for a moment to our uh, to our snowman. So what's the resale value of a snowman? 
I'm guessing there's not much of a market for a, a used snowman. <laughs> uh, uh, so if there's not much of a market for a used snowman, so like the Nesivas, so he would say, if I go ahead and I punch your snowman in the nose, and I literally punch his nose out the other side of his head, so too bad. So there's nothing that you're going to be able to collect because it has no resale value. The Erech Shai says the fact that it has no resale value isn't significant in the event that it has value even on some sort of personal level. So it could be like the Erech Shai, maybe we could say that there's going to be some sort of financial liability or responsibility to pay for the damaged snowman. Now remember, it's important to, to, to take note, I didn't take out my heat gun and melt your snowman because that actually involves damaging the snow, then you don't have the snow anymore. That would be a completely, uh, that would be a completely different type of, of thing. All I did was I punched it in the nose and now all of the snow is back on the, on the ground. So that's an important distinction as far as what the damage, uh, what the damage uh, was. Okay. Now, says, the next source we have over here is Shomel Zaman. Shomel Zaman Arbach. So he addresses the Nisivos. He's on the side of this equation with the Erech Shai. And he uh, disagrees with the Nisivos and says that it cannot be that I could go ahead and damage something of yours, which to you has value, even if it doesn't have an actual market value and say that I'm going to be completely exempt. So he says, so Shomo Zaman says, it would seem clear, something which actually has value. Let's use our example of uh, glasses. So he says that the way we're going to calculate the damage in this case is how much is it going to cost you, the nizak, the damage party, what's it going to cost you to replace the glasses? Right? That's what he says. I'll hide it, highlight it for you, just the specific phrase. How much you, the damaged party, will have to spend in order to buy a replacement for the thing which you damaged. And it doesn't matter how much the object could be sold for, what its resale value is. That, of Shomel Zaman said, is not the important criteria. The important criteria is how much is it going to cost to go ahead and replace it. Uh, sorry, how much you could sell it to others. And sometimes other people would pay much less than you would go ahead and be willing to pay. But it doesn't matter. Because we look at it from the perspective of the damaged party, as of Shomel Zaman. It says that Torah Amr, the Torah says, The Pasuk says that when you go ahead and you kill an animal, you damage an animal, so the mazik has to pay. And he says, What's this language of Yishalmena that you have to pay? What that means is, what that means is, I have to go ahead and I have to make you whole. property I created like a and I ruined your thing so my responsibility is to be mashlim you to make you shalem to make you whole once again in other words that if I go ahead and I kill your animal I have to replace that dead animal 
And it's not enough for me to pay you what you could have sold it for if you were to sell it to other people because you didn't want to sell it to other people. Let's, the, 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 let's say the example, the extreme example, which uh, we can associate, we connect with better than uh, the case of the animal. Let's say you just bought yourself a, uh, a, uh, uh, a new suit. You bought yourself a $500 suit. Let's just say that you bought yourself a $500 suit. So I go ahead and I spill um, some, uh, some honey on it. I don't know. I ruin your suit. So now, how much, if you were going to go ahead and sell your used suit, even if you only wore it once, how much are you going to get for that $500 used suit? Excellent. Not too much. Right? Let's, say, let's be generous and say you'll get $50 for it. So uh, if, if, if we're generous to say $50 for it, so one could argue, perhaps like the Nesivas, if the resale market value of that suit is only $50 and I damage your new $500 suit, I only have to pay you $50 because that's the value that it was worth on the resale market. And that's how much it was that I damaged. Says of Shemuel absolutely not. It's absurd to say that I could damage your new $500 suit uh, and pay you only $50 for it because that's the most that you were going to get if you were to try and resell it. Because as far as you're concerned, it's a new suit. You're going to keep this for at least another two years, three years, five years, 10 years, however long you go ahead and you hold on to your, uh, onto your suit. And you would have made a, a tremendous amount of use out of this. So he says it has nothing to do with what the resale value is. It has to do with how much you would go ahead, you're going to have to uh, pay in order to replace it. Okay, so that's what Shabbat Zaman said. There's nuances here, getting back to what Safi had mentioned. There's nuances there which are arguable in different Bate Dinim have different, uh, different approaches as far as the exact details of that. But the main principle of Shomel Zaman is, is that we're not going to determine uh, uh, or praise the value of something solely based on its resale value, because that's going to put a Nizak at a tremendous disadvantage. Okay, now let's see some proofs to this, uh, to this idea. They are proofs which of Shomel Zaman cites and other posts can cite, which demonstrate this point that the resale value of something is not going to be the determining factor. So we'll have two, two Gemaras related to this. First one is the Gemara in Baba Kama. It says, Dama Rabba, we're jumping in the middle of a discussion, but Rabba says, Gazal Chametz Lifnei Pesach. So I go into your warehouse and I steal your granola bars. Whatever it is. Uba Acher Besarfo Bemoed Pater. So uh, somebody comes along. Uh, I have the stolen granola bars. And uh, somebody comes along and burns those stolen granola bars which are in my possession. So that person is Pater. Why? Because everybody has to go ahead and destroy it on Pesach. You're not allowed to keep Chametz on Pesach. It has to be destroyed. Okay, that's not our halacha. That's not really what we're so interested in. Now, la'achar Pesach, machlok of Rabban. But in the event that I hold on to your granola, your stolen granola bars till Shavuos time, and then come Shavuos time, I go ahead and I, uh, or you come along and you burn them. A third party comes along and destroys them. So does that third party have to go ahead and pay for, the, uh, for burning this uh, pallet of granola bars or not? Now, what's unique over here is, what's the resale value of granola bars, which were in possession of a Jew on Pesach? Big fat zero. 
big fat zero because the halach is chametz over alava pesach, chametz which was in the possession of a Jew on Pesach is asr b'hanah. You're not allowed to get any benefit from it. So in terms of market value, so the resale value of uh, these granola bars is absolutely zero. But yet uh, it may be that now what 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 potential value does it have? And I don't want to get too much into this uh, to this uh, to this concept. But there's a phrase over here which the Gemara uses, which is really the topic over here, and that is something which doesn't have inherent value, but it's the cause of value, is that considered to be uh, a monetary value? In other words, putting it into this context, uh, if I stole your granola bars and I kept possession of them on Pesach, now, the granola bars in terms of market value is absolutely zero. Because it's also bahana. But what's my responsibility as a thief? As a thief who stole your granola bars, what's my primary responsibility? I have to return the stolen property. If I could successfully return these granola bars to you, even though I'm returning them to you and they're now Asr Bahana, but physically they're still intact, so I will not have to pay any out-of-pocket uh, uh, um, anything out of pocket to reimburse you for the loss of value. So if you say this principle, if you follow this principle, that that something which is a cause of money is like money. So for me, the Ganov, these granola bars had value because I could give them back to the owner and not have to pay anything out of pocket. When you come along and you burn them, now I can no longer return them to the original owner. If I can't return the, the stolen property to the owner, then I have to pay him for that. So these Isure Hana granola bars will save me $1,000, $1,000 out of pocket. So according to the Rabbanan, who's saying, that's what we get, the Gemara says, that the Rabbanan, no, sorry. According to Reb Shimon, who says, according to Reb Shimon, if you go ahead and you burn the stolen granola bars, so you have to reimburse me. Ah, they had no market value because it was Asr Bahana. So if they had no market value, they're Asr Bahana, how could anybody possibly say that you have to reimburse me? So here's Araya says of Shomuzaman and others, here's proof positive that we don't determine the Nezek value of something based on its resale value because these granola bars have no resale value because they're Asr Bahana. But as long as it's value to that individual, so then that already is significant enough that we're going to make the mazik, we're going to make the, uh, the, uh, the person who damaged the property go ahead and pay his victim, pay the, pay the nizah. Can I they protest are, for a minute? Can, you can, I, can I protest or, or question? Sure. I'm very uncomfortable with uh, comparing the case of Aganev to a mazik who may have been completely unintentional anyway. Um, in the case of a Ghanav, uh, there's no mention of Shnayim Yishalem, uh, that he, he's, the very act of his Geneva made him, uh, you know, made him responsible for at least double and even more than double in some other cases. And it has nothing to do with the value of the object. So I'm uncomfortable with using uh, the Ganif to to uh, answer questions for the case of a mazik. 
Um, excellent, excellent. So, so yes, there, there, there are uh, some nuanced differences between them. Um, one of the things which we did not discuss, uh, just because that also would be a whole sheer in and of itself, is uh, what exactly is the answer of damaging somebody else's property? Nowhere in the Torah does it say, thou shalt not damage somebody else's property. So the Isser of being mazik somebody else's property has to fit into some other category. And uh, there's a major debate which category that falls into. Some people actually put it into Geneva. Because Geneva is I like, take something away from you, which you no longer have. And if I damage your property, I don't have your thing, but you also don't have it. You don't have use of it because I went ahead and I damaged it and you've lost that, uh, that value. So there's a lot of discussion about exactly how to uh, categorize a mazik, where, where uh, in Shulchan Aruch it's going to go, which Isser it's going to fall, uh, fall under. But you're right, it's, it's not a direct parallel. Uh, we're just borrowing uh, conceptually this idea that somebody could be responsible to pay even though the object which he damaged had no market value. So that's we're, we're pulling out that little piece of this equation from the Gemara. And the, the other difference is, uh, you, you are correct that they remain in place and they are, uh, they are valid distinctions. Thank you. Yep. Let's take another example. Uh, one more example. Uh, here, uh, Gemara and Gittin, when it's talking about, there's a, a concept in Halakha called Hezek She'eno Nikr that when I cause damage to your property, which is not discernible, let's say I go ahead and I borrow your fleshed pot and I make macaroni and cheese in it. And I return it to you and I say, I'm so sorry, I trafed up your pot. You say, well, I just bought this pot from uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. It costs me uh, $39.99 and you owe me $39.99 for, let's say it can't be kosher or something. So you owe me $39.99 for, uh, for the pot. I say, sorry, Hezek Shein Nicker. It's an undiscernible damage. There's nothing physical which has been changed about it. It's a halachic change which it went through because it went from fleshig to now treif. And that's called Hezek Shein Nicker. And there are opinions which say that I don't have to pay. So in the midst of the Gemara's discussion about Hezek Shein Nicker, so the Gemara now addresses the following case. And that is, Tanan, HaKohanim Shepiglu B'Mikdash. For all of you Dafyomi people, anytime we could talk about Piggle, so we get really excited. So Piggle is that you, the owner of the Corban, you bring the animal, Al, you're going to be our coin guttle today. So you go ahead and they bring the animal to, uh, to Al and say, Al, I need to bring a shlamim. Could you go ahead and offer this on my behalf? And Al says, no problem. I got you covered. While he is doing the avoda, while he's doing one of the services of bringing the Corban, he has in mind, you know what? I'm going to save it, let's say it's on a Wednesday. He says, I'm going to save this Corbin and I'm going to eat it for my Sunday barbecue. It'll be delicious. He has in mind to eat the Corbin outside of the designated time. So that renders it piggle, either outside of the designated place, outside of the designated time. But he goes ahead and he effectively disqualifies or invalidates the Corbin through his improper intent. So here was, I spent $500 to buy this bowl. I wanted to be offered as a korban. Al goes ahead and has the wrong intent when he's offering the korban, invalidating the korban. And now, if I'm going to bring that korban, what do I have to do? I have to buy another animal. Right? We can't use that animal anymore. He, Al already ruined it. So, mezidin chayavin. So in the event that Al did that intentionally, he would have to pay. Why does he have to pay? So says Rashi, l'shalim demeim l'balim. So Al has to reimburse me 
for the value of that bull, that animal, whatever it was. Why? Because let's say it was a Corban Toda for a moment. So now if he ruined my Corban Toda, I still have an obligation to bring a Corban Toda. Just because he ruined the one that I planned on doing it doesn't mean that I fulfilled my obligation. So since I have to go ahead and replace that animal now and bring another animal, I have to do uh, Amazon, I have to do Prime now and see if I could get a new uh, lamb or something shipped into the base of Mitosh uh, instantly. So, but that's going to cost me money. So Al has to go ahead and repay me for that animal, which he was Mephagia, which he made Piggle. So once again, we take out our thumbs. How, what was the resale value of the animal, which had already been sanctified as a Korban? It has no resale value. Nobody could buy it because it's already sanctified as a korban. That, that animal belongs effectively to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we're talking about an animal which has no resale value whatsoever. Yet to me, the owner of the korban, it was valuable because I was going to use that animal to fulfill my obligation of bringing a korban toda. And now that El had pigle intent, he ruined something which has no resale value. And yet the Gemara says, Al has to pay. So here is another proof we have from elsewhere in Shas that when you damage something, even though it has no resale market value, as long as it, it had value to the owner, and it's something which will cause the, the owner is going to have to spend money to replace it. So that already is enough to trigger an obligation on the mazik to go ahead and have to pay for that. Yeah? Outstanding. Okay, so that is number two. Let's see if we can go through these next two sources. Um, um, okay, let's. Just, we're just going to jump in. If you could see where my little thing is over here in the middle. Um, so here, the Divrei is talking about a case, let's say I had Chedushe Torah. I had a whole notebook of Chedushim, of, of Drashas, let's say, that I had written into a, into a, a notebook, and you come along and you, uh, uh, you ruin them. You damage them. So as far as you spill coffee on them, you're reading them, and you go ahead and you spill your, uh, your black coffee on the stuff, and now we can't uh, read any of the, uh, the Divrei Torah. So how much do you owe me? So again, for me, it's something which is very valuable. I spent hours and hours and hours putting that uh, together. But the resale value of my drushes is, I can tell you for sure, it's zero. So it's not valuable to anybody else. But to me, it's something which I've spent hours and hours going ahead and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and working on. So or even if, let's say, somebody would spend $10 on it. So how much do you have to pay me? When you go ahead and you spill coffee on it and you ruined all those divrei to me, it was worth thousands. Its resale value is worth all of 10. So I, he says, I am right over here. He says, I am Batshuvas Radam. If you look over here in the Sefer, Hoshemish Batsimin Yud Gibel Shemasik, he concludes, the Masha Shava Be'ene Hakosev, Hachedushim Yosem Mishibu Lechola Olam, the value which I assign to my Divrei Torah beyond what the market would pay for that, the, the value that the market assigns to those Chedushim, he says, Lo Nechshav Klal Lashavakasev. That's not considered to be a value. We don't consider that to be a significant value. It's something which really their value is $10. Because that's all that anybody in the market who's interested in buying Divrei Torah, they wouldn't spend any more than $10. Why would I spend $1,000 on them? Because I get some sort of benefit from them. 
but the hana, the benefit that I get from them has nothing to do with their value. That's just a personal feeling which I have towards my divrei Torah that I would spend that much money. But people spend a lot of money on very fleeting experiences, which leave them nothing at the end of the day. And they, nonetheless, they, uh, you know, how much does it cost to jump out of a plane in a parachute? It'll cost you for sure a few thousand, you know, hundred dollars to go ahead and do so. And what do you get at the end of the day? You get a warm, fuzzy memory, the fact that you went ahead and you jumped out of a plane. You got nothing for that. So you'll spend a lot of money on the experience of being able to jump out of a plane. So the Chuva Saradam says that when you go ahead and you, uh, the market value of these Chedushim is all of $10, but to you, they're worth $1,000. That extra $990 that you would spend, that you assign value, that's just Stam Hana. That's a benefit that you have from having them but it's not actual value. And therefore he would say that you don't actually have to pay. That's not really considered to be their, uh, their value. And he equates it to another halacha, which is not, uh, which is not so important. Um, this, is, this, is, this is saying there's no, there's no such thing as sentimental value. There's, um, there's no way to, right, to monetize right, right. that. This, this is more like the Nasivas. But I mean, that, uh, that, there's not going to be center, that sentimental value isn't going to really because it's not really value. But again, like, we're, we're talking about value really of value. the object, but not but not damages. I mean, you you could argue damages, couldn't you? Like he says, damages is only going to be based on what the, what what the, the general population would spend on it. The the how much it will be appraised in the market. Anything beyond that is not really value. It's just hana. It's just experience. But it says, right, the real word is sentimental value. Sentimental value ultimately does not is not according to the the chumas Adam and the nesivas. Sentimental value doesn't really carry doesn't carry halachic weight to it. Correct. Um, the last thing over here is is you have from the mishpat hamazik. Mishpat hamazik is a sefer written by somebody who's still alive in uh, publishing uh, Svarim, uh, you know, now. It's in the middle of uh, another uh, work uh, at the Mishpat Hanna, I think it's an, it will be the name. But he also addresses this same, uh, this same uh, issue. He's talking about pictures. You know, uh, pictures which are going to be relevant only to you, uh, you know, pictures of your family vacation. Right? So as much as you want to invite friends and neighbors over to look at your old slides, for those who remember, slides of your, uh, <laughs> of your family vacations. So for this crowd, I can still get away with that once it's uh, to my kids and then they wouldn't even know what that means. They think it's what you wear on your feet. But once you, once you go ahead and you try and uh, show them slides uh, of, of your family vacation, it has no value whatsoever. So he says... The, uh, um, the, the one thing which he says is he differentiates between something which if, uh, if it's a repairable thing and you would have to pay somebody to go ahead and do that repair, so then it may be that you would have to go ahead and you would have to pay. Maybe yes, maybe no. He argues a little bit about perhaps that's, uh, that's not the case, but, uh, but something which would be pay, which, which it's possible to pay for somebody to make a repair that also is something which would be categorized as damages. Let's take an extreme example of that that we talked about in the call today. Let's say tonight I drive up to your house, I take out my toolkit and I dismantle your car. I don't break anything, 
I just take it apart piece by piece and leave all the pieces there nice in neat order on your driveway. So am I a mazik? Yes, because now there was a car and now there are parts. I, a part, the car is just the composite of all of those parts. So the tsura of something, the shape of something, the construction of something is obviously something which is, con is considered to be significant. So if I go ahead and I dismantle something which requires expertise to go ahead and repair or to put together again, that itself is considered to be, uh, is considered to be damaged as well. Now, let's swing it back around to our, uh, uh, to our snowman over here. So what are you going to say as far as the damage which I inflicted on your snowman? So is it going to be something that, uh, we, uh, that, uh, that you, uh, I am going to have to pay for ruining your snowman? I'm not going to have to pay. Which of these uh, various uh, uh, precedents or cases or categories are you going to put it into? I'm old and infirm. I'm old and what? infirm and lazy. And if I want a snowman, I have to hire the next door kid to come and build it for me. And I have to pay him for it. Excellent. Excellent. Good. So therefore, so it, meaning if, if you already paid for what a snowman and then the neighbor come, then I come along and I damage it. Oh, very good. So that, that's a variation of that case. Excellent. But let, let's, let's uh, uh, say for a minute uh, that it was uh, the, the kids went ahead and they made their own snowman, like the igloo, which is on my, uh, my front lawn, or the, the three snowmen, which are in front of the Hamawi's house. So if you go ahead and you damage one of those, so is there anything which you, uh, is there any category that we would be able to put this into to say that you would have to pay? So we have to ask ourselves, number one, is there a resale value for snowmen? As far as I know, there is not. There's not really much of a market to go ahead and a resale value for that. How much did they spend on making the snowman? Nothing. They maybe, they maybe grabbed a mask because it's cute to put masks on snowmen this year. And they may have grabbed a carrot from the, uh, from the kitchen or something, which didn't make its way into the soup or into the fish. But it doesn't really cost anything either as far as that is, uh, is concerned. So absent those two criteria, it's not something which has resale value. And it's not something that you spent money to buy in the first place. Remember, that's what Shlomo Zaman was emphasizing, that if you spent money on the first place, even if its current market value is minimal or close to nothing, but to you, since you spent money on it, it's something of value. So here, you don't even have that. Now, in your case, Al, if you spend money on the snowman, then it may, may be recoverable because you've already demonstrated that this is something which you spend money on and it had value to you in, the, in that regard. So that may be a recoverable thing. But when a group of kids go ahead and make a snowman, so uh, it would be very difficult to go ahead and come up with a precedent to say that the one who damages that, that, that snowman just by pushing it over, not melting it down, because melting it down may be, uh, the, may be ruining the, the snow in a different thing. That would be related to the other shear about walking on the neighbor's uh, uh, snow and ruining their, uh, the, uh, the nice image which they have of a clean snow lawn. But in terms of actual damage and recovering things, so it would be a very difficult argument to make that somebody who damages Mazik, somebody, a neighbor's snowman, is going to have to pay. Once again, I'm emphasizing, dirty, rotten scoundrel that he is, a DRS, he still is for going ahead and doing that. It's certainly not a nice thing. It's lacking in It may fall in the category of Onas Dvarim. There's all sorts of types of categories that we would put this in, 
But just in terms of straight up Choshemishmat liability, do you have to pay for the damages or not? So it seemed very difficult to come up with, uh, with a scenario, other than L scenario, but it seemed very difficult to come up with a scenario where we could uh, forcefully argue that the Mazik is going to have to pay for that, uh, that damaged snowman. Can you force them to repair it? Um, it could be. It could be that, uh, that you, you may be able to force a, a, a repair. Uh, that would be an interesting... Um, we could... Um, yeah, I, I, I would say yes. I would say if it's something which is repairable, like you just need to lift the head back up, up on top of the uh, the snowman, and then just uh, you know put around uh, some extra snow around the edges just to uh, to uh, um, to to stabilize it. It could be that that would be uh, that that would be your obligation. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, Bacha, what are you gonna say? I was thinking the same things. Like, is is repairing it? Is having them rebuild it? something that could be done where it's not a monetary value, but if it is replaceable in the sense that you can have them redo what was then damaged, um, is that it? So it was along the same lines. Yeah, as long it, as it, 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 it happens to, to be, if, if, you, uh, if you look in Shinpei Zion, I think it is. So the, uh, the primary obligation is not really to pay for damages. The primary obligation is really to repair. So the obligation to pay is in the event that it cannot be repaired, uh, or if you don't know how, if you can't make the repair yourself, then you could go ahead and you could hire somebody else to uh, to make the repair. But it's not it's not really a monetary obligation per se. It's really an obligation to restore the thing to what it was. So that's why, yeah, I would agree with both uh, both you and Steve are saying that if this is something which is really a repairable thing, so go ahead and uh, you know uh, you spend the time now repairing it rather than uh, you know just leaving it as is. I would go with that. About, no, what about that. what about trespassing? Yeah, so trespassing is also is going to be a problem. That, that's if we get around to when I walk on your lawn and I ruin the nice smooth snow. So trespassing will be relevant over there because um, um, I certainly wasn't allowed to be on your property in the first place, and therefore uh, maybe trespassing will be something that we could uh, hook some sort of uh, ister into or some sort of liability into. Although we'll see when we, okay. if and when we get so to that, whether there's any liability for trespassing anyways. Trespassing is a difficult ister to go ahead and uh, um, uh, nail down halakhically what, what category that falls into as well. If nazikin is hard, trespassing is even harder. I mean, is it, oh, okay, well, good. Does the fact that it's, that it's snow versus anything else, because it's fle- more fleeting because of snow, does that factor in over here in terms of, I mean, I guess that, that, that could ruin the fixable aspect of it. Um, you know, like today, today there's snow, but tomorrow, you know, like in Eretz Yisrael, today we got snow and tomorrow it's 90 degrees, you know, it's... Yeah, you know, no, it's, if, it's, if, right, if right now there's snow, right before. now there's snow, you know, whether, you know, for right now it had whatever value it had, uh, you know, during the, during that time. Nothing lasts forever. I don't think anybody owns the snow. Ah, excellent. Another, another, another good point, an excellent point, um, which is also related to with the trespassing and the walking on the snow of the neighbor, is that even his snow, which is on his front lawn. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.